God, that's our prayer, Lord, that you would open up our eyes in wonder. Open up our eyes in wonder, Lord God. Lord, let our eyes be open to the truth of who you are, to the truth of what your word says. Let our heart remain open. Jesus, you talked about when seed was cast out and sown, that that seed fell on good ground, but it also fell on thorny ground and stony ground and shallow ground, but it was the seed that fell on good ground that produced fruit. And so God, we just want so much, Lord, to have open eyes and an open heart and good ground for the seed of your word to bear fruit. Lord, that's our desire. And so God, as we look at your word today, we know that the real revelation, the real truth that's there has to be revealed by the Holy Spirit. That Lord, that I can stand up here and give a speech and appeal to uh, everyone's intellect but that the real revelation has to come through the Holy Spirit. And so God, I pray Ephesians 6, 19 uh, for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And I pray for everyone listening in this room, in auditorium too, online, that you would give them ears to hear what your word is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Yeah. Praise you, Lord Jesus. God, Jesus, we do give you glory. Jesus, we do put all of our focus and attention on you, Lord God. And as we just prayed that our ears be open, Lord, we just want to stay. Help us, Lord, now to stay in an attitude of worship, in an attitude of awe and wonder about who you are. Let that remain. Let that linger here as we look at your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Anytime you start clapping, we're just going to go right back into a, 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 pr- a prayer and a worship and a praise. It's like, but I do believe that, uh, that, that that attitude, part of, the, part of the reason why we worship together, um, corporately together in a place like this, part of the reason is to get our focus and our attention purely on Jesus, purely on God. And that our hearts would be prepared to receive what the word of God says. I mean, we worship him because he's worthy to be praised and because we were created to worship, of course. But another reason, another benefit of that is it prepares our heart and it makes us receptive and open to what the word says. So we have prayed for me. We've prayed for you. And I believe the Holy Spirit's here. And let's see what he has to say through his word. We're still in the... um, sermon series, Jesus 101. And I was telling everybody last night, if you're like an old school church person, then you'll remember the days of the cassette tape series, right? So when the pastor would preach a message series that was so pivotal and so critical and foundational that he wanted everyone to have access to that. Then he would take all those messages on cassette tapes and put them in a little plastic, you know, folder. And then you could like pick that up out in the lobby when you leave or whatever, buy those later on. And I, I've been saying Jesus 101 is that type of a message series. It's foundational, fundamental types of things we need to go back to on a regular basis. And today we're talking about Jesus. So 
What I want to do is, uh, is give you the text for this message, and I want us to read through it together. Uh, you don't have to read out loud, but we're going to go through the bulk of Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to read through it real quickly, and then we're going to take a deeper dive into it because Colossians chapter 1 is pretty much the summation of this message today. So Paul's talking to the Colossian Christians, and uh, he's, he, this, this letter, uh, well, this, let's, the whole letter is the whole book of Colossians, but this chapter is broken down into kind of three main sections. So Paul starts off with his greeting, and then he kind of, and, and this is the way I imagine it, he kind of just, without even thinking about it, just naturally transitions into this section where he's just praising Jesus. Because he starts talking about Jesus, and then you see his writing just kind of get pulled into, it's like he gets sidetracked when he starts thinking about Jesus. And I think that's how it should be. And then there's this last section of the chapter where Paul starts talking about something that he describes as mysterious or a mystery. So let me read this for you. Just follow along with me, and we'll kind of go through this quickly, and then we'll go back in and dive in and look at it. So I'm starting at verse 9, and it says, And so from, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. amen. Number 15, and here's where Paul just gets drawn into this. He starts thinking about Jesus and he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything uh, he, he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on the earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." Here's some good news for us. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I Paul became a minister. Paul didn't know about periods. Uh, 
So there's lots of really long sentences. But I, I kind of get Paul, though, because it's like he starts writing and he just can't stop. It's just pouring out of him. Let's, let's, we're getting close here. Let's finish it up. Uh, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that, I was, give, that was given to me for you to make the, the word of God fully known. Listen to this. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Everybody say, Christ in me. Christ in me. me. Let me just say that I think we read something that is deeper than most of us probably really understand. And I'm not at all trying to take anything away from any of our ability to understand deep things. I'm just trying to put it in context. I feel like when we think of a deep thing versus a shallow thing, we're kind of thinking like the shallow end of the pool versus the deep end of the pool. And I feel like we just read something that's like the Marianas Trench in the ocean, right? It's like so far, so more profound, so much more profound, so much more significant. And uh, the, the, the danger is that if you have been in the church or walking with God for any length of time, there are certain things that you hear again and again that uh, could become so familiar to you that they lose their potency and their significance. And uh, my prayer today is that we would see the depth of what Paul is talking about here. And just like that song we just sang, that, you would op- that God would open up our eyes in wonder. So Paul is talking about this thing that we call salvation. And he says it's a mysterious thing. And again, if you kind of take a uh, simple uh, churched approach, for lack of a better term, You might think, well, it seems simple. I don't know why it's a mysterious thing. I was a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. Now I'm I'm redeemed. I mean, it's wonderful, but it seems simple. Paul's talking about this thing that for centuries and ages, priests and prophets and even angels looked ahead in awe and wonder and wondered about what God was doing. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. 10 through 12. This salvation was something the prophets did not fully understand. Though they wrote about it, they had many questions as to what it all could mean. Uh, They were finally told, this is verse 12, they were finally told that these things would not occur during their lifetime, but long years later, during yours. And now at last, this good news has been plainly 
announced to all of us. It was preached to us in the power of the same heaven-sent Holy Spirit who spoke to them. And it was all so strange and wonderful that even the angels in heaven would give a great deal to know more about it. Think about that statement. This thing that God was going to do and has done, this salvation was so strange and wonderful that it was so compelling that it left just this natural world and and even in the spiritual world, angels wondered among themselves at this thing God was going to do, this salvation that you and I have. So Jesus makes an amazing statement about those people that are in this kingdom, those people that are uh, the beneficiaries of this salvation that we're talking about. And this statement that he makes just to be honest, I mean, again, this is why I get, I, this is why I come back so often to that idea of, you know, let's let the Holy Spirit give us a deeper understanding of some of these simple truths. Because there were so many things that I didn't really get until later in life. Things that I had been taught again and again and again and again, sang songs about, heard, read books about, heard sermons about, and then the revelation finally settled in, and I understood at a deeper, more spiritual level what God was saying. This is one of those things. Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of women. Now, he just classified a group of people, those born of women, which is a large group. And so if you're imagining like a Venn diagram, right, among, you know, those born of women, you would have everybody ever, and then this little teeny tiny circle with like Adam and Eve, right? And so Jesus is basically in an eloquent and a poetic way saying, among all people ever, there has arisen no one, no one greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus just made this. Epic statement about John the Baptist. Um, there's, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Everybody say, Christ in me. Okay. So, John the Baptist is the greatest among those born of women. So, who would this include? This would include King David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha. Deborah, Samson, Isaiah, Esther, uh, um, all of these people, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of these people that God did amazing things in their life. Jesus just classified John the Baptist as greater than all of them. And then he makes this even more amazing statement that the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Why? You just said it, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Because what do you have that none of them had? Christ in you. Christ in you. Say it again, Christ in me. Listen, listen those, those men and women, they had supernatural moments when God rested upon them, Right? Think about it. Think about David. When he was just a teenage boy, David 
killed a seasoned warrior that was nearly 10 feet tall when God rested upon him. Uh, Elijah stopped it from raining for three years and then faced off against a bunch of occult priests and prophets and called down fire from heaven, literally, when God rested upon him. Samson killed a thousand Philistine soldiers with the jawbone of a donkey when God rested upon him. This is the, this is the uniting factor here. Moses split the Red Sea, led a nation through on dry ground when God rested upon him. So the question is, what can you do when God rests within you? Within you. Uh, They had a visitation. Those people had a visitation of God. You have a habitation. Back then, God would come to visit. But now, he's moved in. Amen? He's getting his mail at your place now. His toothbrush is in your medicine cabinet. And listen, I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to be uh, irreverent at all, but I am making a point. Christ is in you. And that should make a difference. All the difference in the world. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It's not an understatement for me to say that with this knowledge, with this truth, we literally can change the world. We can change the world. There is no limitation. There is no hindrance. Christ is in us. And so that has to mean not not only something for us, but that has to mean something for the world around us. Because Christ is in you, You are more than you appear to be on the outside. You are more than what stares back at you when you look in the mirror. You're more than that. And you're definitely, listen, some of you need to hear this big time. You are definitely more than what your past tells you you are. You're more than that. And... The sometimes used excuse of I could never do that or I'm not good enough or I don't have what it takes to do that is really honestly irrelevant because Christ is in you. It's not about the container. It's about, what, it's about what's being contained. Uh, Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this spirit who dwells in you. <clears throat> Pastor Sean talked about this a couple weeks ago, about how Paul uses, when he's talking about the spirit of God dwelling in you, he, he references Jesus being raised from the dead because that, just by conventional wisdom, is the greatest demonstration of the strength of God ever, ever. I mean, I I mentioned all those other things that happened, the Red Sea parting, all that. I mean, think about the creation of the whole universe. Those are awesome demonstrations of the power of God. But why is Jesus raising from the dead different? 
Just like Pastor Sean was teaching, we know that all the power of Satan, death, and hell would have been marshaled together in all the unity they could muster up to resist that from happening. And yet, with all the power of death and hell resisting and standing against that resurrection, the stone rolled away, the tomb was empty, and Jesus walked on the earth. And so this is the greatest demonstration. This is a demonstration of the power of God in an instance where everything the devil had to throw at it was thrown at it, and it wasn't enough. God overcame. The victory is Jesus's. So that's why Paul is saying here in Romans, if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, well, think about the ramifications of that. Think about what that means. If the most powerful demonstration of God's strength is carried around in you, then what can, what can possibly be a limitation? I mean, you have power within you. Not your power. It's the power of God. It's not your power. But you have power within you that's greater than a hurricane, than an atomic bomb, than a supernova. You have the most powerful demonstration of the strength of God right here. It's here. And this is one of those, this is a moment right here, right now, where the Spirit of God has to reveal this to you. Because we can sit here and intellectually consider that idea or that truth, but it has to come alive in your spirit. So God, let that happen. So because you carry a power that's beyond you, uh, God will call you to do things that are beyond you. Because you carry a power that's beyond you, God will call you to do things that are beyond you. That's how he works. That's how he operates. That's how God gets glory. I mean, my friend Terry's here with us in the room today. And, and if you're on Facebook and, and you get on Journey Connect or you're a friend of his on Facebook, you'll see just regular and random posts of, oh, there's this guy at work and, and we got to talking and he said he had some pain in his body and I prayed and, and he got healed and I got to share Jesus with him. But then that just keeps, I mean, these stories keep coming. Is it because Terry is an internationally known healing evangelist? No, it's because Christ is in him, the hope of glory. And so, that's right. That's right. That's right. And so, because there is a power greater than Terry being carried around inside Terry, God will place Terry place in places and, and in front of people's paths where greater things can happen. So the next time, what I'm trying to say is this applies to all of us. The next time someone is talking to you and they talk about how uh, I'm just uh, I'm fighting depression, uh, I'm just uh, I'm having some bad times, that things aren't going well, uh, pray for me for this thing. I need healing in, in this area or whatever. Remember what is inside you. Remember that. Remember what you have. Remember what you have. P. 
Peter and, uh, and John found themselves in this situation. They were going up to the temple. Uh, this is in Acts chapter 3. At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. It's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go to the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, and so did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, praising God. Amen. I can almost hear somebody in here saying, though, but Aaron, I'm, I'm not Peter, okay? I get it. That's a great story, but I'm not, I'm not Peter. I mean, hey, Peter was the first pope. <laughs> and listen, I, I'm not going to argue that point. You are not Peter, and I am not Peter, but... You have the same Jesus that Peter had. You have the same Holy Spirit that Peter had. <clears throat> and when Peter said, what I have, I give to you, you have that same what I have. You've got that too. You've got the same thing. And so you're called to live a life that is impossible in your own strength. In your own strength. And so you can believe Christ is in you, and that's good, and we need that. But how does that knowledge become power to change the world around you? How do we, sometimes, somehow we've got to get Christ in us from the inside to the outside. And so uh, to break things up a little bit, um, <clears throat> I have a, an illustration that Jeremy helped me put together. So let's go ahead and roll this video. Check this illustration out. So in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says that when you were born again, you put on Christ. When you were born again, you put on Christ. Listen to what he says. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now listen, that is a spiritual reality. It's a spiritual truth. But if you want to make it a natural reality, in other words, if you want to take that truth on the inside and have it come out to where it affects the world around you, you have to act on it. You have to take an action step. And if you jump over to Colossians chapter 3, it's kind of interesting because as you read through that chapter from verse 1 through verse 17, there are actually 17 different action steps that you actually take as someone who's been raised in Christ. And I don't want to go through all 17 of those, but I do want to look at a couple primary ones so that we can see what it actually looks like to make a decision and to intentionally put on Christ. Listen to this. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 through 14 says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And 
If one has a complaint against another, I know that never happens. I know nobody ever has a complaint against anybody else. But if that were to happen, we forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So let's make it really simple. Let's make it something you can just take with you out the door when you leave today. If you want to put on Christ, then you've got to put on love. Love is the mark. Love is the badge. Love is the indicator that something has happened. You know, it says in in John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers if you have love for one another. Here's a way to think about it. The love of Jesus on the outside is the evidence of Jesus on the inside. It's the fruit, it's the proof. The love of Jesus on the outside is the evidence of Jesus on the inside. We put on love and it's a decision we have to make. It's kind of like, my old brown jacket here. I know you've been wondering why is this jacket here with me? But you know, I can think of this old jacket as the love of Jesus, right? I can talk about it, we can see it, we can learn about it. I can tell you the story when I got this jacket, right? We could have a small group about the jacket. You and I could meet over coffee and we could talk about the jacket. But knowing about it, and talking about it and learning about it is a totally different thing than choosing to take it and put it on. And what we have to do is we have to take the love of Jesus and actually put it on. And that's an intentional thing. That's a choice that we make. When I take this jacket and I put it on, I'm choosing it, I'm making a choice. I'm acting on it, right? It becomes my covering. It becomes an an identifier for me. Oh, he's the guy with the brown jacket, right? It makes me look a little bit different than I did before because it's, it's my covering now and I've chosen to put it on. Look, we have to make a choice to put on love. We have to make a choice to put on Christ as people who have been born again. It's not enough just to have the truth on the inside. It's gotta be on the outside. It's got to affect the world around you. Put on Christ. So when you do this, thank you, thank you. (laughs) When you do this, Christ in you becomes visible on the outside. So it's, it's, it's kind of, there's several things involved here. Christ is in you. You didn't put him in there. He did that. And you get to become aware of that by the revelation of the Holy Spirit. But then there is a step that you take. You're not just a passive person sitting there doing nothing saying, whatever the will of God is, is what will happen. No, you have to take, like I said, Colossians 3 actually gives you 17 different steps that you take. But to sum it all down and make it simple, we put on love, we're putting on Christ. And then the hope of glory becomes 
a hope that you can share with a world that desperately needs hope. And that's what we're supposed to be doing. Just do it for me again. Say, Christ in me. Christ in me. So the hope of glory, glory here can be defined as God's brilliant splendor and presence. And so what we're talking about is a heavenly light. We're talking about a heavenly light. And there's an interesting progression that you can see about how light manifests in this world. Um, in scripture, and, it, and it, it can happen, well, it can happen in multiple ways, honestly. It's not this, uh, just these three verses, but it, it is shown up, it is showing up here. Let me read these three verses to you. John 8, 12 says this, and again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we actually represent Jesus. So he says he's the light of the world, but we see that we represent Jesus. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, uh, we as Christ's representatives plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So if he is the light of the world and we represent him by putting him on, what does that make us? Thank you. That Jesus actually says it for us so that we don't have to wonder if we're drifting off into heresy or something like that. Let's just, let's just see what the words of Christ are on this subject. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's that whole putting on love thing. That's the whole, your good works, that's putting on love. And you, can, you have a light to shine because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So summing that whole little section up, John 8, 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. And, and Matthew 5, 14, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So light is an interesting thing. Because the way that light manifests, especially in the context that we're talking about here, spiritually, is, uh, is complete, whole, and absolute. What I mean by that is, is that when light shows up, it's not like a battle begins between light and darkness. You understand that? It's, it's not like light enters and then a struggle begins. And light fights darkness. And darkness fights back. No, when light enters, darkness leaves. There's no struggle. There's no battle. There's no ongoing conflict. Uh, John 1.5, Jesus says, The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So when you turn on a light in a room, you can see this in the natural. 
There's no struggle. There's no battle. Light enters, darkness leaves. And it's simple. It's simple because darkness is the absence of light. That's what darkness is. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness is what you get when you don't have any light present. Maybe you see where I'm going here. Who did Jesus say is the light of the world? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden. You don't, you don't put a light in the house and then put, cover it with a basket. You uncover it. You put it up high and it lights the whole house. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And let me give you a little bit of sense of relief here. It's not your job to light the whole world, okay? I know that every once in a while we'll get a Billy Graham or somebody like that who will come along and they have this ministry and millions and millions of people hear the gospel and come to Jesus, but that's kind of an exception. That's not how the the kingdom of God works typically. That's not how the body of Christ works typically. Jesus designed his church to work as a unit, right? And so let me see if I can illustrate this a little bit. So I have a light to shine, me personally. Um, And my light is meant to light my world. So I have a certain group of people that I know. I have a certain group of people that I have influence in uh, their life. I, I have be people that I have contact with. And I am meant to be the light of the world to my world. So let me have, uh, here in Auditorium One, let me have my tech guys help me out. And let's bring the lights down a little bit. We won't bring them down all the way because we have these bulbs behind me that are rebellious and do not listen to our lighting control software. So we'll never be in absolute darkness. So, but I'm here in my world and it's dark and I have a light right here and I can shine my light and I'm called to do this and it does light up my part of the world. Now, if this room represented the whole world, then my part of the whole world will have light in it. But God did not call me personally to light the entire world with my light. He called me to be a part of the body of Christ, and he called each one of us to light the world. So let me have my volunteers help me out and hold up your light. We've got other people in here. Look at that. Isn't that cool? Now look at, look, notice the room The room in general, the whole world, is brighter than it was before. Oh, I've got people holding cell phones up and stuff now. It's like everybody wants to be a light. Isn't that cool? So notice what happens when each one of us takes up the call, holds up our light. It lights up our world. It lights up the people that we know, but it also begins to light the whole world up. Thank you, guys. You can sit down. Thanks for that. Yeah, give them a hand. You guys can, yeah, bring the house lights back up. So here's the thing. You know, uh, uh, Kevin back there at the sound booth, he, he held up a light, and he lit up that part of the world. And why is that? Because Kevin knows people I don't know. 
I, I'm not connected with everybody in Kevin's world. My light isn't going to reach every part of Kevin's world. There's people he works with I've never met. They don't know who I am. I don't have any influence in their life, but he does. And if he's faithful to be the light, to let Christ in him, the hope of glory shine, then the world begins to be exposed to the light of Jesus and darkness has to flee. It has to flee. So it is not your job to light the whole world, but it is your job to light your world. That's your job. That's your job. It's not Pastor Sean's job. It's your job. So we may have missionaries in Thailand. You guys remember that a little while back, you know, we prayed over Jake and Nikki and their family and and now they're over there, and I love seeing what God's doing in their life. And that's so cool that they are there being a light. But you know what? We need a missionary at your job. We need a missionary in your neighborhood. We probably need a missionary in your family. And Jake and Nikki aren't going to go to your job and do that. So you've, you've been called to do that. And you can do it. You can do it. Why? You know what to say. Christ in me. That's right. Listen, you are more than you appear. I want you to get this. Lord, help them get this. You're more than you appear on the outside. You are carrying something that prophets, priests, and even angels looked for centuries in awe and wonder at what God was doing. You're carrying that. You contain a greater potential. Listen to me. You contain a greater potential than any of the prophets in the Old Testament. Because Christ is greater than any of the prophets in the Old Testament. And Christ is in you. You carry a light that no darkness can resist. And and I want to get real here because I'm guilty of this sometimes too, but you may be walking around saying, this world is a dark place and it's getting darker. This world is screwed up and it's getting worse. Things are bad. Things are not like they used to be. Things are getting worse. And the whole time you are carrying around the power to change the world. You are. Christ in me, the hope of glory. We've got to let him out. We've got to show the world what we've got. It's, listen, it's not, and this is not, please understand, none of this is meant in any way to be a correction or a rebuke or getting on anybody's case. This is an encouragement. This is a pep talk. But it's not right for us to carry around the answer and just curse a dark world. It's like that old phrase, you can curse the darkness or light a candle, right? And whoever you are, wherever you are, you have a role to be part of the answer because Jesus has placed it in you and you carry it. And he loves the world and he wants to reach the world, but he wants to do it through you. So let me ask you to stand up. We're going to sing again. We're going to worship. 
We're going to sing, I'll build my life upon your love. Open up again my eyes to awe and wonder. But I want to pray for you before we do that. Father, we've looked at your word. We've looked at what you have to say. Lord, we have opened up our heart to your truth. And we understand that you have said that you have put the light of the world inside us. Lord, you said plainly and clearly that the most powerful demonstration of your strength has been literally placed in us and we carry it around with us everywhere we go. And God, help us to no longer miss opportunities. Lord, I pray for the next week, for the next seven days, for every person in Auditorium 1, for every person in Auditorium 2, for every person watching online, the next seven days, Lord, I ask that you would lead us into an opportunity to walk this out, to, to make this real, to, to, to apply this, to demonstrate Christ in me, the hope of glory, to be a light to the world. Lord, take us into a place where there is some form of darkness. Maybe it's a conversation with a coworker. Maybe it's the need to pray for somebody. Whatever it may be, take us into an opportunity to shine light and repel darkness. Lord, we understand that should be an enjoyable thing to drive out darkness. We don't want this world to be a dark world. We want your light to shine. So God, I pray that you would create opportunities. Call them divine encounters or whatever, Lord. But I pray that you would create opportunities for each and every one of us, God, in the next seven days to show your light, to put on love, to put on Christ, and let the world see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Lord, we give you glory. We give you praise. We say that you are worthy of every praise and every word of worship. And we give you all the worship and the praise right now. In the name of Jesus, amen.